Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you, Father. We thank you for your Shabbat, for this opportunity to gather together as Mishpachai, even if only virtually, to worship before you, to encounter you, and to hear from you. Father, I pray that you will speak directly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word spoken, your heart felt, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I pray that you breathe new life into us as we open up your word today, and that your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, will move mightily and powerfully in our midst. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. So this week we are in Parshat Zav, which comes from Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1. If you have a traditional English translation like an NIV, KJV, NSB, something along those lines, it'll begin with verse 8 uh, and goes through chapter 8, verse 36. Um, and it's really uh, interesting to look at the Parsha and to see the different facets of what's going on as we continue to talk about the offerings, the way that the nation of Israel would bring sacrifices and offerings to the tabernacle, to the Mishkan, and to the priesthood, the way that the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, would be uh, taking those offerings and sacrifices and performing the services that go with them, the way that the Lord provided for the, uh, the priesthood through these offerings uh, because the priesthood did not have an inheritance in the land as the rest of the nation of Israel did, but instead their inheritance was God himself. Their inheritance was the service of the tabernacle and temple. And so the Lord provided in miraculous ways through the, the, the giving of sacrifices and offerings and such that the nation of Israel would bring to the Mishkan. But I want to focus in uh, today on a, a couple of little, little interesting facets between our Torah and Hapsor this week uh, as we look at the Parshot. Uh, and in Leviticus chapter 6, if you go ahead and open up there, Leviticus chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, keep in mind, excuse me, as we begin to read this, that uh, this is actually still predicating the, the consecration of the priesthood. So Aaron and his sons have not actually been anointed and ordained in the consecration ceremony as the priesthood of, uh, of Israel yet. So the Lord is kind of giving Aaron and his sons this uh, instruction on what they would be doing once the consecration is in store. And so the Lord prepares them in advance for what he is wanting them to do once his calling sets in place for them through that anointing. So in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the Torah of the burnt offering. The burnt offering should remain on the hearth atop the altar all night until the morning, while the fire of the altar is kept burning on it. The Kohen is to put on his linen garment with his linen undergarments on his body. He is to remove the fat ashes from where the fire has consumed the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he is to take, out, take off his garments, put on other clothes or other ones, and carry the ashes out side the camp to a clean place. Verse 5, the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. It must not go out. Each morning the Kohen is to burn wood on it, laying the burnt offering in order upon it and burning up as smoke the fat of the fellowship offerings. Fire is to be kept burning on the altar continually 
it must not go out. Now, we briefly talked about this last week for a moment, uh, and we're going to go forward for just a second to Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23, in which we realize the purpose behind the Lord's instruction to the priesthood that the fire on the altar should never go out, that every day they are to come in and put fresh wood on it, every day they are to come in to stoke that fire, that that fire is to not completely burn out and have to be rekindled is the goal here, the, the aim. So Leviticus 9 verse 23 says, Moses and Aaron then went up to, or went into the tent of meeting. When they came back out and blessed the people, the glory of Adonai appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of Adonai. And as we said last week in Hebrew, this phrasing is, Esh milpanei Adonai, fire from the face of Adonai. And devoured the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And actually in chapter 10, verse 2, the very next uh, uh, few lines that come after this, it says uh, that uh, they are to offer the, the um, it says to, so fire came out from the presence of Adonai and consumed them. So they, uh, speaking of the, the, the sons of, of Aaron, uh, so they died before Adonai. These are the first, his two oldest, Nadab and Abihu. Uh, actually going back just a second, says laid incense on the, over it and offered unauthorized fire before Adonai, which he had not commanded them. Um, and so as we see here, there's this notion of what's going on, or this fire from the presence of the Lord coming forth. Um, and in the, the verse 2, it says uh, that they offered it before Adonai. It says in Hebrew, Vayichrav lifnei Adonai, which literally translates to uh, they approach the face of Adonai, or they approach the, the face of the Lord. And what's interesting is that in 9... Uh, chapter uh, verse 23 and 24 we see that the fire comes from God and meets the people but with Nadab and Abihu they tried to rush into the fire right so the fire comes from the face of the Lord uh, in in one way we can word it that the fire or the face of God came down to Israel because Israel saw his presence before them and then the fire consumed the altar or the offering on the altar and then Nadab and Abihu tried to run into the fire of the Lord they tried to run into the face of the Lord if you would so what we see here in, in Leviticus 9 is that the, the fire that is upon the altar, that the priesthood is to keep kindled all the time, that they're to never let go out, that they constantly have to add wood to and stoke and make sure it is always on fire, is a fire that is a divine fire. It's a fire that comes straight from the presence of the Lord, directly from the face of the Lord. It is not that the priests went out and started a bonfire on their own and threw a bunch of gas on it and threw a match and watched it go up and then they continued to add flame to it, but instead that this is literally the fire from the face of God, the fire from the presence of God that is before them. So when we look at uh, Leviticus 6, the beginning of our Parsha here, we see that it tells the, the priesthood that they're to never let the fire go out, right? This means they're to never let it go out on Shabbat. So every Shabbat, the priest would have to go in just as any other day and make sure that the fire was upon the altar and that that fire never went out, that the wood was there, the kindling was always there, that the, the uh, stoking was available. So on the Shabbat, during the most sacred times, we are not to take care, I mean, sorry, we are to take care to guard the fire uh, and as believers, I believe that this is an image that goes even farther, that it's not just the fire on the altar in the physical sense in the tabernacle and temple, but that we are to guard the fire of the Ruach within us, right? So when we look at Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit of God falls on the body of Messiah, the Spirit of God falls on the believers, on the disciples, what is it that the, the people around them see? It says that, that it fell like tongues of fire upon their head. And so just as we saw in Exodus 19 and 20 with the presence of God being revealed in the sense of fire before the nation of Israel, in Acts 2 we see the fire of the Ruach HaKodesh fall 
on the followers of Messiah. Uh, so on Shabbat, they're to keep it going no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's a weekly Shabbat or a Moed. They're to keep that fire going. They're to do so during times of ritual impurity, even during times when uh, we think that we are unworthy. We must guard the fire of the Ruach within us. Anybody had that recently? Um, you know, I was talking to somebody the, yesterday, and I said, you know, as much as I love sitting at home, and I have a great house for just relaxing, as much as I love sitting at home, I'm really sick and tired of being at home. I'm tired of just being stuck all the time. Uh, and so there are these times where we feel like we're just, we're not worthy, right? We're just, we don't feel like we're, we're there. Uh, you know, moments where maybe we get just completely angry for no reason at all or, or where we lose our temper at people. But we have to understand that even in these times where we feel like we're not worthy, that we have to keep the fire of the Ruach burning within us. Uh, that if you notice here, it actually says, uh, in this parsha, that they're to keep the fire burning even when they're traveling, right? So the altar, as the, the presence of God lifts off of the, the Holy of Holies, and the nation of Israel prepares to move out, the Talmud tells us that the, the, the um, Levites would come in and they, uh, the priests would take down the curtains and everything around the altar and the tabernacle, and they would lay these over top of the, the altar in such a way, but that it would be covered first with a, a copper bowl so that there was enough air constantly in there. There was space between the curtains and what was draped over it and the altar so that air could get through so that that fire was going. So even as the Levites were hauling the altar around the wilderness on their shoulders, the fire from the face of God was still being uh, kept burning and stoked on the altar behind them. So even when uh, we look at this again with this idea of the Ruach HaKodesh, the fire of the Spirit in our lives, when we are moving through our daily lives, interacting with and coming into contact with the outside world, we must guard the fire of the Ruach within us. Um, I feel like this is a, a vitally important reality for us because the nation of Israel, as we move through the history of the people of God, and we especially get towards the second temple and the, the, you know, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and moving into the first century with the, the, the time frame of Yeshua and his disciples and post the, the, the actual destruction of the temple and 70 common era and everything that goes along with that and the way that we as the Jewish people kind of restructured and reallocated our means of faith and worship before the Lord without a temple uh, in Jerusalem, one of the things that we began to focus on was the action of the sacrifice, the action of the worship, the action of the temple and tabernacle service, and not so much on the reality of our own lives and what it was that God actually wanted for us, from us, right? So this fire that we see upon the altar is uh, really, it correlates to the fire that was upon the uh, Mount Sinai when Israel stood at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20. It correlates to the image there because God revealed himself to Israel at Sinai and here it says that he revealed himself to the nation of Israel before pouring out the power of his fire upon the altar. We go forward to Acts 2 as I said and we see that the revelation of the presence of God was given and the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit upon the followers of Messiah and that in that revelation there was the presence of fire descending again and so we got to understand that the reality of what God was looking for as he gives us his Torah was not for the purpose of the actions that go into the worship and the sacrifice and the practice and the temple service but instead it has to do with our actions and obedience and in worship and in faithfulness with him uh, so we go to our Haftorah Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 21 uh, Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 21 and it says thus says Adonai Zivot the God of Israel 
uh, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the meat. For on the day that I brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to them, nor did I command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But I explicitly commanded them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God to you, and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways that I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed their own counsel and the stubbornness of their evil heart. They have gone backward and not forward. How many of us feel like this is our lives and our walk with the Lord, that every day that we feel like we take a step forward, the next day we realize that we had just walked a little backwards and that as we continue to walk in our life of faith in Messiah, we've got to constantly draw closer to Him and, and yearn for Him that much more. Uh, it says, but they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed their own counsel and the stubbornness of their evil heart. They have gone backward and not forward from the day your fathers left the land of Egypt until today. Although I sent to you all my servants and prophets daily and persistently. In other words, the Lord kept sending message after message after message to Israel saying, I want you to understand the reality of the word of God is not about the actions. It's not about the temple service. It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about the offerings that are brought uh, and he continues to bring this message over and over again, but they did not listen to me or pay attention. Rather, they stiffened their neck, doing more evil than their fathers. What's interesting here is that what we recognize from verse 23, uh, he says, but I explicitly commanded them, obey my voice, and I will be your God to you, and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways that I command you, that it may go well with you. See, the heart of the Torah, it isn't the sacrifices the sacrifices were actually a result of sin. So if we had to bring an atonement sacrifice, it was because we did something for which we needed atonement, not because we were doing it because of our love for God. But we did so out of response to our walking contrary to his word. See, Hashem did not give Israel the Torah so that they would have sacrifices. He gave the Torah and the Word of God as a whole from Genesis to Revelation so that we would shema, that we would hear and respond, or as Jeremiah says here, that we would obey His Word. See, the reality is, is in this section of Jeremiah that we read from, Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, reading from verse 21 through uh, 26, over and over and over again, this word obey is brought up. And the reality that in the Hebrew, the word that's used there is actually the word Shema. Just like we use in Deuteronomy 6, 4, right? Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's Shema here to listen, but it's not just listening as in like when my kids listen to me and I tell them to do something and then an hour or two later find out they never actually did it because they heard what I said, they just didn't respond to what I said. The word Shema in Hebrew is a word that actually is an a action that comes as a result of obedience to what we heard. So we hear God say something and we respond to what he is saying. And so this word is used over and over and over again in this section here of Jeremiah. So uh, as we said, he gave the Torah, the word of God as a whole, so that we would Shema, so that we would hear and respond to his voice and have relationship with him through righteousness. And what is the core of righteousness? Righteousness means to be in right living. 
right? Righteousness isn't necessarily this idea of strict obedience to whatever, to rules and commands and regulations, but righteousness is right living. And you hear me say a lot, and, and I talk about this a lot, that for me, the definition of sin is way beyond just what we can extrapolate of what we should or should not do from the Word of God. But for me, the definition of sin goes a little bit deeper because we are created in the image and likeness of, of the Lord, and through Messiah, through His atonement, through His sacrifice, we are remade, we are recreated, we are recalibrated, realigned, however you want to word it, in the image and likeness of which we were first created. And so for, for my definition, my understanding of sin, it's not just the do's and don'ts, the thou shalt's and thou shalt not's of the Torah. It's not just the Ten Commandments. My definition of sin is simply anything that we do that damages, mars, or hinders the image and likeness that we were created in. So anything that we do that takes away from people seeing the power and presence of God in our lives, this is sin. So when Joshua uh, uh, had the Gibeonites approach him and the Gibeonites come to him and they offer a treaty with them, the Lord had already said, don't make a treaty with anybody in the land to get rid of them all. And the Gibeonites come in and Joshua didn't turn back to the Lord and say, okay, God, I need your direction. I need your, your, your enlightenment. What are these people doing? Are they really true to what they're saying? Or are they lying? What's happening? Instead, he went, hey, their bread looks old and their clothes look old. So maybe they're telling the truth. Here, let's sign a treaty and we'll be in good faith and standing with the Gibeonites or who he later finds out to be the Gibeonites. And what we realize is that as he does this, he ends up, not only does he break the command that God gave him, which was not to sign treaties with anybody in the land, but even more so was he damaged the image and likeness, not just before Israel, but before the nations as a whole, because he had an opportunity to stand in faithfulness to seek out the faith or the, the leadership, the guidance of the Lord, and to Shema, to hear and obey. And instead, he gave the nation of Israel and the world around them an example of what it looks like to move forward without the leading and guidance of the presence of the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 22, this is the latter uh, wrapping up of our Haftorah Parsha this week. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9, verse 22 says, Thus says Adonai, Let not the wise boast in his wisdom, nor the mighty boast in his might, nor the rich glory in his riches. But let one who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. For I am Adonai who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight is a declaration of Adonai. The Lord doesn't delight in sacrifice because physical sacrifice is a result of our sins. So what is there for him to delight in besides the fact that maybe there's a degree of repentance, of teshuvah, of re return? But if we're honest about it, more often than not, even today as believers, when we repent, we don't truly repent. We don't truly walk away from our evil ways, but instead we ask for forgiveness for what we've already done. And a lot of times we go right back to doing what we just did. We go back to walking away from the Lord. So he says, but let one who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The Lord wants us to understand and know him, to have relationship with him, to have a deep yearning in relationship with him. He says, for I am Adonai who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight. Notice he doesn't say for in sacrifice and temple service and the priestly service I delight. He says, for in these things I delight. It is a declaration of Adonai. 
Micah chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, says, With what shall I come before Adonai? With what shall I bow myself before God on high? Shall I present him with burnt offerings, with the year old calves? Will Adonai be pleased with thousands of rams, with hordes of rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my belly for the sin of my soul? He has told you, humanity, what is good and what Adonai is seeking from you only to practice justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of Adonai calls to the city in wisdom to fear your name. Pay attention to the rod and to the one who appointed it. He says, the Lord has told you what is good and what Adonai is seeking from you. It is only to practice justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, the reality is the reason we have the Torah, the reason we have sacrificial service that was laid out in the Torah is not because this is what God wanted from us, but it's because in the garden we chose to sin. We chose to walk away from His presence. See, we had to witness His fire and presence upon the mountain. We had to witness His fire and presence upon the, uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness and upon the temple in Jerusalem, but we couldn't draw near to it as God had desired for us to do in the way that he created us to be. We were supposed to be not looking from the distance to see the fire from the face of God descend, but instead we were supposed to be in deep personal contact relationship with him in which we see his face. But we chose to sin. We chose to not shema. We chose to walk away from mercy and righteousness and humbling, walking with him. And so the Lord puts in place a plan of redemption and salvation and the sacrificial system and the temple service was there for the purpose of pointing as a foreshadowing for things that would come. Don't get me wrong, they still have a prophetic purpose now. I believe there will be a rebuilding of the temple. I believe that it will be a sign of the return of Messiah coming soon. I believe that there will be a reestablishment of the temple service and so on and so forth. I believe and the prophetic purpose and reality of the temple and the tabernacle, but I also believe wholeheartedly that that was never God's intention for his creation. The intention for his creation was a face-to-face relationship with him. In Matthew 23, we read of the seven woes that are spoken to uh, the the Pharisees and the Torah scholars, the Pharisees and Sadducees. In Matthew uh, chapter 23, beginning verse 23, it says, Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the weightier matters of Torah, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It is necessary to do these things without neglecting the others. O blind guides, straining out a gnat while swallowing a camel. See, we got to understand that in the Torah, in Leviticus 6, we see this picture uh, being portrayed to us of the altar and the fire upon the altar that the priests were to keep burning. And it's a, a foreshadowing, a picture of our lives as believers in Messiah empowered with the Ruach HaKodesh, the fire of the Spirit of God, in which we are to constantly keep stoked constantly adding wood to the fire. We are to never let that fire go out, whether we are in sacred assembly, whether we are, are going about our travels and journeys, whether we're at work, whether we feel unworthy, no matter what it is, we are to constantly be walking in the power and presence of the fire of the Ruach HaKodesh. It is to consume our hearts and our lives, and we are to walk faithfully in Him. And this is where we will see the reality of the restoration of what God calls us to be 
that it is not an act of temple service that he yearns for because the act of temple service is because of our sins. Our bringing service in the temple, in the tabernacle, our bringing sacrifice was a response of, to our sins. It wasn't a response to the calling of the Lord. And the Lord wants us to come back to him faithfully. We go to Galatians 5 in closing. Galatians 5 verse 13. Brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole Torah can be summed up in a single saying, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not destroyed by one another. But I say, walk by the Ruach, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Ruach, but the Ruach sets its desire against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you were led by the Ruach, you were not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are clear, sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, just as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit God's kingdom. Understand that every single one of those issues were dealt with in the Torah wasn't anything new. Paul wasn't bringing out anything new. He wasn't saying you were suddenly free to do whatever you want and the word of God doesn't matter anymore. Instead, he was saying that through the Ruach, the empowering of the presence of the Ruach, our lives would be ruled by the, the deeds of the spirit, not the deeds of the flesh. Our lives would be in alignment with the will of God, not the will of fallen man. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Ruach is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Ruach, let us also walk by the Ruach. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to encourage you today that it is our duty to walk in faithful relationship with the Lord. It is our duty to stoke the fire of the power of the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh in our life daily. Our hearts have become now that altar. Our hearts have become that place where the fire from the face of God descends. And it is our responsibility and our duty to shema the, or the, the commands, to hear and obey the command of the Lord, to walk faithfully with Him to be the tool and the resource that he uses to bring about the, the fruit of the Ruach, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is our duty to walk faithfully with him at all times. We must constantly stoke that fire just as the priests were required to keep the fire going on the altar. We are required to keep the fire going in our lives. This means daily being in his word. This means daily being in prayer. This means regular fasting. This means gathering in holy convocation with like-minded believers in worship. This means on our face before the face of God, shutting our mouths and listening to him. Because it is hard to hear. It is hard to shema, to hear and obey if we're too busy talking and overpowering the voice of God. We must listen and return wholeheartedly we must understand that there is not a command in the Word of God that says we cannot uphold what the Torah says is righteous 
just because we have now been made righteous through Messiah. There is also not a command in the Torah that says because we have been or in the the Hadashah, the new covenant, that says because we have been made, made righteous in Messiah that we should forsake the Torah or the commandments of the word of God as a whole. The reality is, is that walking in faithfulness with the Lord means being obedient to everything God has called us to do. It means walking faithfully in love and relationship with his word. And it means allowing his grace, mercy, and never-ending loving kindness to flow through us so that the world around us will be changed. For most of us, our lives are very different today than they were just a few weeks back. Everything that we have become accustomed to in America, in the Western reality, everything that we are used to in the body of Messiah has come to a halt. But this doesn't mean that the power and presence of God interacting with his people should come to a halt. Even though we can't gather in community like we normally would on a Saturday morning or for those that go to a church on a Sunday, doesn't mean we stop meeting face to face with the fire coming from the face of the Lord. It doesn't mean we stop stoking the fire upon the altar of our hearts, and it most certainly doesn't mean that we neglect our relationship with the Lord. See, the reality is, is that we are called to Shema, to hear and obey. We must listen to Him. We must speak with Him daily. We must interact and encounter with Him daily and walk faithfully in Him. We must recognize that it isn't about sacrifice it isn't about temple service. It is about relationship and righteous life in Him, which can only be restored, only be renewed through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua and the power and presence of the indwelling of His Ruach HaKodesh. Avarach Mim, Father of mercies, we worship You, we love You, and we adore You. Father, we uh, thank you for meeting with us today, for encountering us. Father, we thank you for making your fire present in our hearts and our lives. It was obviously present in worship and in liturgy today, Father. And we thank you that your fire is burning deep within us. And God, I ask that as we move forward from here, that you will continue to move in our midst, that you will continue to burn that radiant glory in our hearts and our lives, that we can walk in right relationship with you, that we can walk faithfully before you and that we will continue to see the fire from the face of the Lord burning in our hearts and our lives. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.